How many recognize the song that was on that video clip? Anybody know the name of it? Chariots of Fire, right. There's a movie called Chariots of Fire that came out in 1981 that chronicled the real-life journey of Eric Liddell, who was a British Olympic athlete in 1924 who ran for the pleasure and the, the glory of God. And he overcame much in order to win the prize to bring home the gold in the 400-meter dash. And it's an incredibly inspiring story, uh, but the movie itself didn't do too bad either. In 1981, it was nominated for seven Academy Awards and won four of those, including Best Original Score for that song that just played. And that song over the years, some of you started laughing as soon as you heard the song because you know it's become synonymous with like slow motion running maybe. It's come synonymous with a sense of accomplishment or victory or we finally achieved our goal, right? Or sometimes it's just used for silly things like this. Now that our hearts have been opened, let's receive the word of the Lord (laughs) this morning. If you have your Bible, either good old-fashioned paper or on your device, let's open to Philippians. Continuing on our series in Philippians, starting in chapter 3, and verse 10 is where we'll pick it up. This is the Apostle Paul speaking here. And so he says in chapter 3, verse 10, he says, I want to know Christ. And we could camp out on those five words for for a while. To know. Paul is saying what what he wants, what he desires, what he craves is to know Christ. But this knowing is not just a head knowledge, right? Because there's a difference between knowing about someone and knowing someone. The same way that there may be, there may be, I know in the youth group at least, there's some that know a lot about Taylor Swift, right? They may even know her favorite ice cream flavor, favorite color, but they're not necessarily on her speed dial because there's a difference between knowing about someone and knowing them. Henry Blackaby in his book, Experiencing God, says this. When Jesus said eternal life is knowing God, including God the Son, Jesus Christ, he did not mean that eternal life is knowing about God. He was not referring to someone who has read many books and attended numerous seminars about God. He was talking about a firsthand experiential knowledge. We come to truly know God as we experience him in and around our lives. Many people have grown up attending church and hearing about God all their lives, but they do not have a personal, dynamic, growing relationship with God. They never hear his voice. They have no idea what God's will is. They do not encounter his love firsthand. They have no sense of divine purpose for their life. They may know a lot about God, but they don't really know him. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1 has an interesting insight to know, where it says that Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived. And before you jump on the TMI train, um, the point is here is that God is not some idea. God is not a philosophy, that God is a person to be encountered personally. And I would encourage you, I don't know, I did a version of this book Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby. I did a version as a teenager studying through this, and I'm working my way back through it again. And I would say if you've never read this or if it's been a few years or if you really have never really experienced some of those elements of the aspect of encountering God firsthand, 
this would be an incredible resource. And you can't borrow mine, but I'll help you find one if you need help. Um, but, but Paul's saying, he's like, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. The word power here that we've seen other places in Paul's writings is the word dunamis, where we get the English word dynamite. So it's this kind of power that's explosive. It's this kind of power that can cause the mountains to come crashing into the seas. And it's the kind of power that can, that can bring sin crushing to defeat in your life. And it's the same power that rose Christ from the dead. And it's the same power that's available to you and to me as we believe. So to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship, the koinonia, the participation, the partnership in his sufferings. And last week, Dr. Dan did an incredible job with his why hardship message. And in your life, if you've ever found yourself asking a question along the lines of how could a God who is supposedly good allow bad things to happen to good people, go back and listen to last week's message. Um, This will be an encouragement for you. (laughs) But to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, becoming like him in death, okay? Because his death was literal. Ours is to self and to sin. Verse 11, and so somehow, by any means necessary to attain the resurrection of the dead. Paul wants life. Verse 12, not that I, being Paul, again, have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect because Paul realizes, he's like, I know I'm not there. I'm working that way. I know I'm not there yet, but I press on. Say, I press on. I almost believe you. I press on. The word here for press on in the Greek is dioko. And it means to run or to flee, to catch a person or a thing. It's a word that's used when talking of a sprinter running a race. And elsewhere in scripture, it's also talked about, it's translated as suffering. And if you've ever run a marathon, you know what that means. (laughs) Right? Because you know that your body feels different at mile zero than it does at mile 26. And the closer you get to your goal, the more you're striving towards your goal, it's like your body is wanting to shut down and it's saying, give up, give up, give up. And you're like, no, I must press on. The last marathon I ran, which has been a while ago, but it ended in, in Tempe. And I remember coming down the final stretch seeing the goal in sight and seeing a runner that was down in the median with the paramedics attending to them. I thought, how sad is that to have the goal in sight that close and not be able to finish the race? So there's this picture of pressing on. We get the word pressure from pressing on, right? And this is an olive press, if you've never seen one before, I mean, I'm sure they have machines now that can do this for you, but this is old school, right? And the way this works, you see this big contraption, and there's kind of the screw that comes down with a big handle for leverage. And those little pancake-looking things that are in the middle, if you go to the next picture, Kev. Yeah. These are actually baskets. And so the olives would go into these baskets. They would be stacked up beneath this press, and then as you crank down on them, the olives are pressed and pressed and pressed until they're crushed, at which point then the, the oil flows forth and becomes useful for other things. And have you ever felt like that in life? 
like an olive in a basket. There's nowhere to go. You're being hard-pressed from every side. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8 says this. It says, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Why is that? Well, because there's only one who was ever crushed, and that was Jesus in Isaiah 53, 5, where he was crushed for our iniquities, but by his wounds we are healed. He will never give us more than we can handle. So when we feel that pressure, when we feel pressed from all sides, students, when your friends are pressuring you to do something to gain acceptance with them, you need to press on, right? When people at work are trying to get you to to, to buy into this mentality that the next promotion is is, is what's finally going to make the kick for you, you need to press on. As Paul does in verse 12, where he presses on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Verse 13, forgetting what is behind. If you've ever seen The Lion King, it's like Pumbaa says, you got to put your behind in the past. All right? Somebody will get that later. But (laughs) 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone. It's in the past. It's behind us. And the new has come. Allie shared a couple weeks ago how when she felt like God was calling her forward, there were some things she needed to leave behind, and she had to make some decisions about who was going to be in her friend group moving forward. And maybe some of us today, we've been on this breaking point almost of, of we know that God is calling us to something more, but it's so hard to leave the past in the past. And maybe you need a revelation of freedom this morning that, that he has set you free. It is for freedom that he has set us free, not to dwell on the past anymore, right? And maybe, but maybe there's some decisions you need to make now in order to be able to move forward about the media that you consume, the TV, the radio, what are the the voices that are speaking into your head? I don't often listen to K-Love because I get tired of the same 20 songs eventually, but what I do love, (laughs) love you K-Love if you're listening, but what I, what I really appreciate is their motto that what goes into a heart comes out in a life. And we always reap what we sow. So what are you sowing today? But forgetting what is behind, I press on, verse 14, toward what? The goal. And not just pressing on toward the goal. What is the goal of the Christian life, by the way? And a hint, it's not to get to heaven. That may be the prize at the end. But that's not the goal of the Christian life. The goal of the Christian life is Christ-likeness. Amen. And so Paul says, I press on toward the goal, and not just to finish, but in a way as which to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. My friend Chad ran the New York Marathon last week, and I text him afterward to be like, did you win? (laughs) Yeah, right. We always know it's someone from Africa, but they're just blessed. Um, and, and, and he said, he's like, no, I didn't win, but, but I finished. And I'm like, that's cool, you know? But what Paul's saying here is like, yeah, yeah, you want to finish. You want to finish, but that, not just that. It's not just about what happens when you get to the end or making it to the end. It's about how do you live now? How are you running now in such a way as to win The prize, like Eric Liddell did in 1924. And if you don't like all these uh, words about running, it makes you feel tired. (laughs) Sorry, that's 
what the Bible says. So take it up with the Bible. Um, But here's who it applies to. Verse 15. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. All of us who are mature, we're not just trying to make it to heaven. It's about engaging this life now. And so how do we run the race? How do we live the Christian life? Because no matter how much we read or study the Bible, we can still sometimes um, have trouble figuring out how to put it into practice, right? That information that we've received. I've got four principles or legs. I'm going to call this a four-legged race because it's shorter than four keys or interdependent components of running in such a way as to win a prize. But these four things (laughs) will help you to run the race in such a way as to win the prize. And one of those, the first one is this, intimacy. And Kurt talked about intimacy three weeks ago. In verse 10, I want to know Christ. I want to experience um, God, Paul says. And I think so many Christians, it's easy for us to get excited about possibly being a, a, a change, making a change in the world, right? There are a lot of us that want to jump on board with a movement that's doing great things in the world. But the problem is, is that passion in and of itself has never changed anything. We need a strategy attached to our passion. And God has not just called us to do work for him. He wants us to love him with everything that is within us. Why do you think Jesus so often had the crowds flocking to him? Because he's the son of God. Well, I don't know. Because he's a cute baby in the manger. I don't know. No, the point is, we do read in Scripture how Jesus often withdrew from the crowds to be alone. To be in the solitary place of prayer, in the inner room of prayer, communing with the Father, experiencing the Father. And I used to think, and it was easy to because I'm an introvert, I used to think that Jesus, he would go to the crowds and it would be this powerful thing and then he would need to get away and, and go retreat to recharge and rejuvenate, right? But I don't think that's it. I think it's the opposite. I think it's because he put the first fruits of his day invested in prayer in the inner room. I think the crowd saw something in him that they saw nowhere else. Right? Banning Liebscher says this. The most strategic thing you can do with your life is to plant it in the secret place with God. It's in the inner room where you encounter his love for you, where your love for him is ignited, and where a root system of love for God is born. When I was a teenager, there was an evangelist that came to our church, and I cannot think of her name. I've tried so hard. If it pops in your head, Mom, yell it out. But she spoke on this principle of tithing on our time. And up to that point, I'd always equated tithing with, like, money, right? Something you give 10% of all you got to God. Well, you know. But she said, well, but time is also a different type of currency. And so she said, if there's 24 hours in a day, 10% of that is 2 hours and 24 minutes. She said she would round up and devote the first fruit, the first hours of each day of her life, dedicated to time in the inner room of prayer and getting to know Jesus and getting to experience God. You know, the word says that if we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these other things will be added unto you. And God can orient your schedule in a way when you put the first things first that you'll never have time for if you don't. Amen. And so, Elaine Pettit, 
look her up. She's legit. (laughs) Or at least she was when I was a teenager. (laughs) Elaine Pettit. That's good. Um, What were we talking about? (laughs) Tithing on your time. And maybe three hours sounds like a lot of time to you, right? But we've seen from research that the average American watches four and a half hours of television a day. So we know that at least the average American, this is no big deal for, to carve out this kind of time. Put first things first. And maybe this this week, if, if you don't have currently a devoted time daily with God, maybe you want to start with an hour. Set your alarm clock a little bit earlier so you can get up and spend an hour in the morning in the inner room of prayer. And if you're a college student and you only sleep one hour a night, then maybe you start with 15 minutes and see that if you're faithful with a little, maybe God will multiply your time, right? And if you don't want to do this for yourself, what about someone else? This wasn't in my notes, so bear with me. But Susanna Wesley was a mother of 15 children in a small house and you could imagine that it may be hard to find a quiet place in a room like that. But she had, was it her apron that she would put over? So her, play, her solitary place with God was in the middle of the kitchen. She would put her apron over her head, and that was the cue to all 15 children, you don't bother mommy right now because she's talking to Jesus. Right? But the thing is, what she sowed in the inner place, not only she reaped, her children reaped the benefit of her investment in the inner room. You look at John Wesley, who, began, who went on to become the founder of the Methodist Church and has influenced millions throughout the last century. Or you look at another child of hers, Charles, who wrote thousands of hymns of the church that are still sung weekly around the world. And what she sowed in the quiet place, her children reaped. And the inner room doesn't just have to be a location in your house. It's like a carry-on bag. You bring it with you everywhere you go, Right? So some of you, you may find yourself sitting in a doctor's office this week. Well, rather than reading the magazine that's four months old, why not just like take a few moments and pray for the people that are in the room around you, not just for their physical needs, but that God would encounter them in a real way and maybe even be open to being a part of that blessing if he puts it on your heart. Some of you may find yourself sitting in a car at some point this week. What a great opportunity to pray for all the other idiots on the road. (laughs) Right? And not just for their sanity, and not just for their protection, um, but, but even being willing to pray courageously, God, whoever that is, I just know that they need you, whether they know you already or not. Just pray for you to encounter their life in a powerful way. And when we begin to look at people through the eyes of eternity, even rush hour traffic could become a blessing, Because we stop seeing people as objects or as inconveniences, and we begin to see them as opportunities, not only for us to grow, but potentially for God to grow them through our prayers. I need to get back to what I got on my page. So, but intimacy is the first one. Second one is this, community. So there's that word fellowship or koinonia in verse 10. And Allie, two weeks ago, talked about what it means to be citizens of heaven, That we are citizens, first and foremost, of the kingdom of God. By the way, if you haven't heard that message from two weeks ago, you need to go check it out. It was anointed. I've listened to it multiple times, and I've been blessed every time.
Thank you. I've seen the opposition that has come against you from believers because you're following God's call on your life to preach. Thank you for letting those voices drown out and for following the conviction of the Holy Spirit because I need your voice in my life. I need all your voices in my life. Like I mentioned earlier, how, what a sad place it is to say that I'm a self-made man or woman and to set the, the ceiling there. Because the vision that God has for your life, the purpose that God has for your life is so much further above that ceiling of what you can do on your own. We need each other. I cannot be who God has called me to be without you. And like it or not, you cannot be who God called you to be without me, without us. One of my favorite characters in the Old Testament is Esther. I think because she's a mighty woman. But she's the one who stood up in chapter 4, verse 16 of Esther. She stood up in the face of death and said, if I perish, I perish. If I die, I die. So what? And what a remarkable declaration of courage. And yet when you look a few verses earlier... She didn't look so courageous because Mordecai, her cousin, when he had first kind of challenged her to go confront the king, her response was, "Um, but if I go to the king without being summoned, they're going to kill me (laughs) because that's the law. not sure if you knew that, cousin Mordecai. But it wasn't until Mordecai encouraged her and said, but Esther, what if you are here for such a time as this that she found the courage through his encouragement, to stare death down. She couldn't be all that God had called her to be without someone else. And you cannot be who God has called you to be as a lone ranger. Intimacy, community. Third one is this sharing of your time and your talent and your treasure. Yeah, 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 I know. Don't like talking about money. Well, it's a good thing it's not all about money. Money's just part of what we're supposed to give, right? (laughs) You realize you are blessed to be a blessing. And if you live in the United States of America, you are blessed more than most. But what are you investing in? Again, are you investing in, in eternity? Or are you investing in things that a thousand years from now really won't amount to a hill of beans? That, right? That new car. Bailey liked that one. A new car. It's not going to matter in a thousand years. That job promotion that you're working so hard for a thousand years from now, it's not going to matter. But the seeds that you sow of faithfulness in other people, well, a thousand years from now, those will just be getting rooted and those go on into eternity. So what are you investing in? And then the fourth one is this, serving. How are you serving Others. Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. In humility consider others better than yourselves. 
It's not the American dream. And before we go on, I want just just a note on self-neglect. Banning Leapshire says this, the Lord doesn't say we must not care about our own interests. He says, look not only for your own interests. Devaluing our lives is false humility and will not position us to receive the grace of God. The humility that attracts God's grace into our lives is Jesus' humility, the kind that says, I'm going to take the greatness in my life and use it to make you great. Esteeming others as better than ourselves simply means maintaining a perspective that our life is not about us. Michelle was praying that in the prayer room this morning. Humble service is what connects us to something bigger than us, the kingdom and the body of Christ in which we play a vital part. So intimacy, community, sharing, and serving. And if this looks familiar... By the time I got to this point in my study, I thought the exact same thing. I'm like, this looks a lot like the four G's, <laughs> which are the marks of a disciple. But this is, this is not just how you, how you make it to the goal, but this is how you press on toward the goal in such a way as to win the prize. And it's when you're gathering regularly, fellowship, partnership, when you're growing intimacy, knowing Jesus, experiencing God. It's when you're, you're giving sacrificially of your time and your talent and your treasure, and then as you're going daily serving and loving the world. There's an artist named Brandon Heath, wrote a song called I Run. And it's a fun little poppy song. So let's have a listen, and then, and then we'll close. Some days I feel like I got nothing left Like I'm running on empty Down to my last breath My feet are so heavy Don't want to carry the load But then I think of you standing there At the end of the road I'm in this race In this race In this race my chest I lean into the burning press into the strain and I know it was worth it all when I see your face I'm in this race in this race in this race to run every step I take nothing else maybe you'll have a 
melody stuck in your head this week. Of that last line, I was born to run. You and I were born to run, not just to walk and wallow and make our way to the finish line, but to press on in such a way as to win the prize. If you stand with me this morning as we close in prayer, and I hope you'll forgive me for getting you out early on a holiday weekend. (laughs) As we pray, it's kind of funny, the day that we sat down to kind of divvy out sermons, (laughs) who was teaching when, um, it was sort of like that night, I was just overwhelmed with this sense of exhaustion. And knowing that I was the one to be talking about running a race, it was the last thing I wanted to talk about. But I think sometimes God lines that up because he needs to work on us. He needs to work on me first, right? And there is too much at stake for us not to live in to all that God has for us. Let's pray. So, Father, this morning, I thank you that in this room, (laughs) we are all kingdom athletes. (laughs) God, thank you that you have given every person in here all that they need to not only run this race, to not only press on toward the goal, but to do so in which a way, in such a way as to win the prize with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. And God, this morning, I thank you that you meet us where we are. And you love us way too much to leave us there. And so, God, whatever it is for each person in this room, and what I'm going to do, I'm going to give just just a brief moment of silence here. And if something isn't popped on your mind immediately that you need to respond, I'm going to give you just a moment to, to reflect and let God speak. God, forgive us for the times when we have made this life about us. Help us to press on so that we can help each other press on. And that when the people of God can truly grasp that vision, that they are built with incredible purpose that the world would be turned upside down into the right side up kingdom of righteousness so God lead each of us this morning as I believe you already have been and as you will continue to and even if it's just a simple song lyric I was made to run being stuck in our head all week God, I pray that that would be our constant reminder. And may we have the courage, through the encouragement of others, to find you in the inner room, to know you more, to experience you more. Lead us now, God. Give us eyes to see as we go this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You are dismissed. Um, Thank a veteran or invite them to lunch or something, but... Have a great week in the Lord.